0: And this morning's message is entitled, The Law of Reciprocity, or How to Love a Big Fat Stinking Jerk. (laughs) Now Newton's third law of motion states this, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. This is the law of reciprocity. That is how, for example, a jet airplane works. There's a thrust of hot air out the back of the engine that produces an equal and opposite reaction. Push, hurling the plane forward. Now, this is also true in the spiritual realm. It's called the law of sowing and reaping, and we read about it in uh, in First or Second Corinthians, where Paul writes this. He says, "Remember this. Why? Because we forget. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously." Now, Jesus showed us how this law works in our relationships with other people in Luke the gospel of Luke Luke, we read these words he says do not judge and you will not be judged do not condemn you will not be condemned forgive and you will be forgiven give and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured back to you Simply stated, if you smile at someone, he will most likely smile back at you. If you strike someone, the chances are he or she will hit you back. If you express kindness, you are almost certain to have someone express kindness in return to you. If you're critical of everything and everybody, you can expect to receive critical judgment from others. So if it's true that Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. You can see the advantage of being the first one to give in your interactions with people. You give, it calls for the reaction. Your gift of giving becomes the action that demands an equal and opposite reaction. By being the first to give, you can set the stage for the quality of your relationships with other people. Even great big fat stinking jerks. Now, the farmer uses this law of reciprocity. He can either be the first to give to his land, predicting its destiny by what he plants in it, or he can just wait to see what the field will give to him all by itself. If he waits, chances are rocks and weeds will be his only harvest. Now, it's amazing to me, and I've spoken about it many times, but it's amazing to me how many people have a complete disconnect in our culture with this concept of sowing and reaping. Maybe it's because we're no longer an agrarian society, you know, it used to be everybody was raised on farms and stuff and and we constantly would get this sense of, you're only going to get out what you put in. And people literally have that disconnect today in their heads. They expect to get totally separate from what they give. In fact, they look at what they get with perplexity and confusion and say, why is my life this way? Why do I only have this? Why am I in this situation? And then when you can start pointing out to what they put into it, they look at you like you dropped in from Mars. They think, well, what does that have to do with anything? How come I don't get what does that have? Because the one affects the other. You get, by and large, as a result of what you have sown. People. Envy what other people have. How come I don't have money like that guy? How come my business doesn't do as good as that guy? How come I don't get, you know? Well, there's probably a reason. People work. uh, Their situations are different. uh, Their education might be different. Uh, Chances are, I don't think I earn as much money as a brain surgeon, for example. But then, if you need brain surgery, you don't want to come to me. Alright, so you pay more because it's a specialized field. They work harder, they prepare for... There's a reason things are the way they are. And we don't want to admit that in our culture today. We honestly don't. The last time I talked about this, I had people come up to me and say, That's not true. It's not fair what I got in life. Fair or not, I'm just telling you, it's the law of sowing and reaping. There's a reason why your life is where it is today you know, I, I deal a lot with married couples and, and you know, it's, it always amazes me. Couples who complain about the magic being gone in their relationship. The fizzy soire is up and left. And they don't know why. And I said, well, really? I said, why? Do you guys spend much time with each other? No. Do you ever go on dates with each other? Yeah, back in 84. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding! Complete disconnect. They spend no time with each other. They do nothing together. They do no special activities together. I know couples who vacation separately. I kid you not. Probably somebody's sitting here. And if that works for you, God bless you, I don't care. But then then you turn around and wonder, well, how come up? there's nothing there? Who's that? I look at him and he, Who's that? Well, there's a reason for it. You spend no time, no investment. You know, here's a big one. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's people in here who do this. I mean, they're they're everywhere. Again, if it works for you, great. But look at what you're getting. And I'm talking about couples who work completely different shifts. And they never see each other. Virtually never see each other. Now, some couples do great in that situation. I know people, the less time they spend with each other, the happier they are. Literally, you know, I mean, just they got a good marriage. Just, you know, there you. Go. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Uh, <laughs> and if that works for you, great. But generally, that doesn't work. I would never do that. There were times in our lives we were working and money was hard, and we had to look up to see poor, and it was, it was awful. It was awful and I had opportunities to take work that would have pulled me away from her and we would have hardly ever seen each other and we said no we'd rather have been poor and keep our relationship together you can always get money later if you prioritize money you'll get the money and then when you divorce it will be taken from you then <laughs> we needed the money well, you're not going to keep it you idiot no connection people who just say you know pastor I don't know I I don't feel God in my life where's God you know there's no no connection what's wrong I don't know how how often do you pray huh do you pray well when I eat once in a while I pray (laughs) you ever read the Bible Uh, no but again no connection they get this and are confused why does my life stink? Because you're doing stinking things. It's just that simple. <laughs> By the way, we're uh, uh, getting ready to shoot a, a TV program. We're going to be doing a weekly TV show um, uh, this next year. And, uh, what's cool about it is we shoot it all in one week. For one week you're there. We're going to shoot like crazy right after the Manly Man Conference. I'm going to be in Nashville for a week just <laughs> shooting all these shows. But, uh, and then it'll run for half a year. But uh, we've got some several networks that are looking at picking it up. Christian networks. We're hoping we'll get it going, that ABC Family will pick it up. That'll be very cool. But anyway, it's called Love, Marriage, and Stinking Thinking. And, uh, and the reason why people are struggling so much in their marriage is because of stinking thinking. We just have stinking thinking. We have thinking that just stinks. And we get the horrible result. again. But no connection between where I'm at and what I'm putting in. The law of reciprocity. Big word. You get out what you put in. Now, if you are passive in your relationships with others, in other words, you don't intentionally take control with your actions. You just kind of wait. You'll only give an equal and opposite reaction to what they are doing to you. You'll only get along with those who get along with you first. You'll only be nice to those who are nice to you first. You know people like this? You'll not be able to choose your friendships because you will only befriend those who go out of their way to befriend you first. When you only respond to how others treat you first, you will be subject to everyone else's mood swings and actions. And I've talked to people before, you know, they'll say, you know, I don't have any friends. How come? Are you friendly? No. (laughs) I don't know. I don't... I don't get it. Now I believe one of the reasons Jesus claimed it was more blessed to give than to receive. Remember he said it's more blessed, more happy. You're better off to give than to receive. One of the reasons is because it affords you the opportunity, the advantage of control in your relationships. When you understand the law of reciprocity, you can make it work for you. You can literally predict the destiny of any relationship in your life by being the first one to give because the law is they have to start giving back unfortunately whenever people don't receive the acts of kindness we give to them right away though we feel rejection and then naturally give up we want to retreat but if you stick it out while you're being rejected or ignored and refuse to respond to the non-feedback or even negative feedback of others Your acts of kindness eventually will generate a favorable response from them. It's called selfless giving. Selfless giving allows you to stay on the action side of the action-reaction law of reciprocity. However, staying on the action side is more easily said than done. Especially if you're in a relationship that has turned mean and nasty. Or if you're up against a big fat stinking jerk at work or wherever you run into these people. There are some people who are so skilled at being jerks that it is extremely difficult to keep from reacting to them negatively because that's what they're putting out to you. These people are committed to a lifestyle of suspicion, criticism, anger, rebellion, complaining, etc. When you encounter a jerk, you will feel the pressure to dole out to him or her the meanness they are doling out to you. We all feel that. We all sense that. We're all pulled into that. It's part of the law of reciprocity. But this is where believers can mess up and we fail at staying selfless. Sometimes you're too weak to stand up under the torrent of negativism. It's hard to keep from yelling back at those who yell at us. It seems impossible to be kind to those who are so unkind to us. Sadly, many believers don't even think about using their faith in God to help them abort the harmful reactions that naturally arise in us when we're being treated negatively. The problem is here is that kindness, gentleness, caring, forgiveness, selfless, all these things, all these Christian traits, they're in various stages of development in us. For many of us, these traits have not yet become a lifestyle. Many of us are just getting out of kindness kindergarten. And we are facing men and women with PhDs in meanness. Consequently, young believers start out pretty good being the kind Christian when first under attack, but it seems they run out of steam pretty easily. Then they revert back to the same kind of defensive actions and attitudes that permeated their lives before they came to Christ. But even though we're not perfect, God promises that we can Overcome evil. Paul writes about it in Romans. He says, do not be overcome by evil. Easierly said than done. Because when evil comes at you, it feels like it's going to overcome you. But he says, don't do that. Don't let them win. But overcome evil with good. How? By giving and putting that law into action for you. We do not have to be losers in our struggles with evil people or the big fat stinking jerks in our lives. The evil behind their horrible attitudes and actions will eventually be overcome if we keep coming back to the divine love that has been placed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We read about this as well. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. Why would he write that? Because it's easy to get weary doing good. You do good. And it just feels like, oh, man, when is this going to start coming back at me? And it's easy to get tired. Have you ever felt tired of doing good? Man, if doing good was easy, what a great gig that would be. Slam dunk. Now just just go around being nice to everybody. But it's hard. Why? Because the world's full of big fat, stinking jerks that are mean. Rattlesnakes out there. Some of them are just mean as can be. And some of them, God bless them, it's not even their own fault. They're just reacting to the horrible situations in their lives. But then we get caught up into the wake of it. And it's hard and you try to be good and you try to be nice. And it's like, oh man. But he says, don't become weary in doing good. Why not? Because at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. It takes endurance to stay free from the wrong end of the action-reaction cycle. Because while you're sowing acts of kindness, the person skilled in evil will be sowing acts of evil. While you are refusing to respond to the acts of evil, they will be refusing to respond to your acts of kindness. In fact, some of them, it gets worse when you're nice to them, it eggs them on. It becomes a struggle for control. The question is who's gonna win? the good flowing from you or the evil flowing from them? well good always wins if it is sown consistently for a sufficient length of time well how long is that? it depends on how hard the person is you're trying to love some people are really tough and it takes some time for them to come around other people they're real easy, you know the bible says that a kind, soft answer turns away anger you know, someone comes in if you match that tone it'll blow up but if someone starts yelling and you respond softly it'll actually start to turn away their wrath why? because of the law of reciprocity the power of kindness over evil but that's for most normal there's some people, man they're mean all the time just nasty the harder they are the longer it will take it's just that simple the good news is this Paul said in 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter uh, we won't put it up on the screen but it just says love never fails love never fails well pastor I tried it I tried it no it never fails well it failed for me I don't think so it never fails love never fails now Having said all this about kindness and love and whatever, there's there are two particular relationships where the kindness thing now you have to focus with me here a minute, okay, because this is where I lose people and then they're gonna be all confused. But sometimes the kindness thing you can do, particularly in very close relationships, is to be tough. It's to be tough. Kindness and just giving everybody a green light in your life Isn't always the best thing Again, the closer they are, the more this is required For example, in dealing with children If you let children do whatever they want Whenever they want to do it You will raise a hellion And it will be a disaster In fact, such love is not love at all the Bible says if you refuse to set boundaries and discipline for your children, you hate your children. Well, I don't believe that. I, I never discipline my children. I love my children. No, you don't. You love yourself. You love not having to do the right thing. You love taking the path of least resistance. But if you love those children, you will set boundaries for them. You will discipline them. It's not your job, by the way, to be your kid's best buddy. Are you hearing me? Your job is to be their parent. Not that you can't be friends with them. Not that you can't have relationships with them. But You're not to be their buds. You're to be the mother. You're to be the father. Okay? You have to have lines in the sand. And for the love of heaven, don't quit parenting too soon what I mean by that is you know they finally get old enough about 13 or so and they finally quit pooping their pants and can get themselves dressed and can take care of themselves a lot of people oh thank God and they quit dealing with them and they quit taking their hands don't do that that's why so many kids get to be such a mess teenagers don't quit parenting too soon stick it out you just got a few more years to, to finish it out and do the job right so yeah there you go And well, I trust my teenagers. You're an idiot. <laughs> we used to love going to the parents' house where they trusted their teenagers. It was Party Central. We would do, I can't tell you what we would do, but we would do <laughs> unspeakable things. I was a little heathen, I wasn't a Christian. We did horrible things in the house while the parents were there. Parents would never one time walk in and check on us. Well, I, I, trust I trust them. And don't let your kids guilt you out with it. you don't trust me. Of course they don't trust you. Nobody trusts you. You're a teenager. Shut up. <laughs> you don't trust me. Just to say... Just do whatever you want, and, and not to set. That's not love. That's not true kindness. The Bible actually calls it hate. Hate. Why would it call it hate? Because of what you do to those kids in that environment. Given the opportunity, they will corrupt themselves. It's just the reality of life. The other relationship that requires toughness, is in marriage. I am stunned. Hear me. Listen to me. Focus as much as you can. But I'm stunned by people who are in relationships that they allow their husband or they allow their wives to behave in such unbelievably bad ways. And never challenge them. They never challenge them. This can be abusive language. This can be improper behavior out there going to bars till two or three o'clock in the morning without the spouse. you're out there partying with people, people who virtually date other people. They have real close friends. No, we're not. We're just friends. Yeah, really. I call it dating. Spending the same time, going to lunch, hanging out, sharing, talking, connecting. And the the spouses say nothing. They say nothing. They think, well, well, the kind thing is just, just to love them. No, no, no. That's not the kind thing, it's hate. They will corrupt themselves. The reason why so many people behave so badly, quite frankly, is because they can. And I hear just unbelievable stories, stuff that just, you know, guys, Central Wisconsin, tell me, you know, she says, well, my husband says, you know, they were on a business trip with, with another lady and, and uh, said that they, they wanted to spend money, save money, so they thought maybe they'd just share the same room. Is that okay, Pastor? And that's when I want to take them and just give them a swirly, you know, stick their head in a toilet. What's the matter with you? For the love of God, how can you be so? Well, I don't want to cause a fight. Oh, you need to cause a fight. That's not love. That's hate. Allowing. You know, I listen to stuff, and then I, I remember coming to my wife one time after hearing just these this torrent of stupidness some guys were doing and I looked at her and said how come I don't do those things and she said because you're a good man and I said nope (laughs) She, she said she said why I said because you would kill me And she said, You're right. <laughs> I would kill you. That's why you're a good man. <laughs> Ask anybody in a good marriage. Any some of you guys we've got fabulous marriages in this church. Ask any of you, would you tolerate that from your wife? None of you would. Would you tolerate from your husband? Are you kidding? I'd kill him, I'd hang him up on the wall next to his deer head. But it's the relationships that fall apart where one spouse doesn't do anything. And they're weak. And they think that kindness is just be nice and put up with their I can't say it, but put up with it. And and and, and all this and, and this is kindness. This is this is that's not kindness. It's not. It'll spiral out. So, well, I'm afraid. I, I'm afraid to confront him. I'm afraid to leave him. You know, what's so odd about that is they'll leave him eventually anyway. Your husband will eventually walk out on you. Your wife will eventually walk out on you. It'll be over. And you know what's sad is when you when they finally walk out. Then the the, the offending spouse, when the offended one finally walks out. Then the offending one starts to cry. They do. 98% of the time. And I say, what can I do to save it? What can I do to save it? And they're willing to. This one finally gets somewhere they want, but they don't care anymore. How many times? There's people sitting here right now. I know you. The spouse one says, I don't care. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just not doing it anymore. Oh my gosh. If you would just do that while you still cared. If you guys would confront each other, why you still care? You could save your marriage. You could save your relationship. The kindest thing you can do, the most loving thing, and do it's, you do it nicely. Not yelling, not screaming, not cursing. Just say, if you're going to do that, I won't be home when you get back. See, I'm really against divorce. I think it's destructive and horrible. It rips people's lives apart. I'm a big fan of kick the bum out. Stick him out for a while. Let him hang his own underwear for a while and feed himself. and Let your wife feel the embarrassment of all of a sudden the husband isn't there anymore. It jerks the slack out of people. You've got to get tough while you still care. If you don't, you eventually will get tough. That's the irony of it. They all eventually do it. But only when they don't care anymore. And then you can't save it. We've got to stop this insane cycle. Confront why you care. And it's tough for people. I know it's really tough. And you need need to come get some advice and wisdom if you're not sure what to do. Check with us. We'll be more more than happy to talk with you. Or talk to someone who's got a great marriage. They'll tell you. Ask them what would they do. How would they deal with it. And I'll give you... You know, I'm not going to literally kill people and hang them on the wall. But you know what I'm talking about. They'll give you some advice. A lot of you need advice even when you get tough, because a lot of people don't get it. I had one lady, I preached this message once a couple of years ago, and she came and said, All right, I like what you preach, I'm leaving my husband. Really? Yeah, he went hunting on Saturday and I didn't want him to go until Sunday. <sighs> <laughs> Obviously clueless. And some people, a lot of times that are weak people like they don't, they really don't get it. Get some advice. Get it, but you do know this. You know when you're being violated. You know when you are being killed emotionally. When what they are doing is just sucking the life out of you. You need to come and get help while you still care and confront this now. Because that's when it can save your relationship. Don't think that I'm talking about kindness in such a way that you just give people green lights and do whatever they want to do. It's not kindness at all as you can see we're involved in a struggle a conflict, a war between good and evil kindness and meanness and sometimes it seems overwhelming seems like you're going to die but then that's when you pull out the believer's secret weapon the atom bomb the nuclear tool that we have that changes and works every time in every situation that sets you free how many of you want to know what that secret weapon is? good, then you'll come back next Sunday and I will tell you Let's have our ushers come and our musicians to get ready for communion. Oh, he's a mean preacher, ain't he? Yeah, he? Is. I'll show him reciprocity. <laughs> law of reciprocity. You know, a lot of you, the reason you're here even today is because of this law that I'm talking about. Because for a lot of you, there there's times in your life where you were such an enemy of God. And you fought God and did everything you knew God didn't want you to do. Some of you hated God and you cursed at Him and you yelled at Him and you railed against God because of the evil that you thought in your life that had come from Him you thought incorrectly. But He kept loving you in spite of the way you acted toward Him. This is the law of reciprocity. You're doling out evil, He's doling out good, the good wins why even some of you even here this morning some of you probably thought man I'd never be in a church like this I never thought I can't believe I'm here now it's called the love of God and this law was the most greatly demonstrated when Jesus Christ died on the cross here he is the son of God being beaten humiliated spat upon whipped spikes driven into his hands and feet you know the Bible at any time Jesus could have called for 10,000 angels He could have crushed them all like a bug. I see your head's a little tiny like that. Squish your heads. He could have squashed them like a bug. At any time. 10,000 angels would have showed up. You talk about Kung Fu, man. They'd have been kicking butt and taking names. But he didn't respond to their evil. In the midst of all this pain and agony and violence against him he looks up and he says father forgive them they don't know what they're doing that's the power of love it was that love that makes possible for us to be forgiven of our sins to have relationship with god to have god moving in our lives That incredible love that will change your life. The love of God. In the midst of horrible, horrible circumstances. That's what we celebrate now as we take communion. His body broken for us that we could be whole. His blood shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer this morning. If you're willing to turn away from the wrong in your life and put your faith in Christ today. You can begin your life of faith. Just pray this prayer along with us. And if you'll mean this from the bottom of your heart, you can experience this wonderful love that I've been talking about today. Let's pray together. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much. You went to the cross. You took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you. Amen.